0: Last week, we introduced our new study in the book of Ephesians entitled Growing Up into Christ. And we looked at the passage out of Ephesians 4, verse 15, where the message says, grow up. I love that, grow up. I feel like God is saying to his people, grow up. It seems like all of last week, the prophetic word that dad offered, which was so spot on that we needed to guard our eyes and our ears, and our hearts, that there is a fight to be fought, but maybe not the fight we're fighting. And I think that there is something the Lord is helping us see, to not get caught up into the details and circumstances and all of the strife that is around us, but rather to grow up into him and to be his people in this day. And so we looked at the introduction last week, and as you uh, probably remember, we covered the first two verses of the first chapter. I know, not exactly breakneck speed. You know, that's just, uh, it's who I am. But let me just uh, promise you, we will pick up the pace eventually, but not today. I'm going to warn you that we actually are going to go from two verses down to one word today. That's all we're making it through, one word, but it's an amazing word and it paints for us a picture that is beautiful and glorious and will give explanation as we study the whole book. Eugene Peterson says of this one word that it is the pivot upon which the whole letter rests. In fact, you can see this one word in the verse we're about to read, Ephesians 4 and verse 1. and The word is the Greek word axios, which is translated worthy, Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy, axios, of the calling to which you have been called. Worthy, axios, it means corresponding, congruous, befitting, of like value, being worth as much as the other. From axios, we derive our English word axiom, and I'm not an algebra student, never really was, but I do remember that axiom means to be of equal weight, right? So in algebra, an axiom indicates that something gets done to each side of the equation in order for it to still be true, in order for it to still be in balance, Which leads me to maybe the very best way to understand what this word axios, worthy, really means. It looks like this. Maybe you've seen something like this. We don't typically use this kind of balancing scale much anymore, we have other much more sophisticated scales. But it works. You know what I'm talking about. It's a beam that's balanced on top of a post, able to pivot back and forth. And on each end of the beam, there is a pan that is suspended, which causes it, when nothing is in it, it should be completely balanced. And so that each pan hangs at the exact same height. You understand this concept. Uh, Most small kids get to have some sort of lesson about this in their elementary days. If you take a standardized weight, oftentimes it's a lead weight, that measurement of which is known. It is a known quantity. It has been predetermined, calibrated to have a certain weight. If you take that one weight and you place it in one of the pans on the scale this is what happens. I'm illustrating now, okay? I don't have one, so I am the scale. And as the weight is placed in the one pan, that pan goes down and the other pan goes up. Now, let's just say that that lead weight is one pound, and as you take another item, a commodity of some sort, maybe it's flour or wheat or corn or or some sort of grain, and you begin to fill the other pan with that commodity, As it grows in its weight, the scale begins to shift. When the amount of flour or grain or whatever commodity it is that you're wanting to weigh continues to pile up, when it eventually comes into balance with the lead weight, you have axios. You have axios. It is now worthy of the other. What you have filled into this pan that you have been wanting to weigh is now befitting. It is worthy. It is congruous. It is equal to that which is already established. When the amount of flour gets there, we have equal weight with what's already been established. Now, the two forms or the two items that Paul is trying to weigh out for this group of Ephesian Christians, the first is God's calling. He says, the calling to which you have been called. Now, that's a known quantity. God's call is a call to each of us. It is a call to himself. Jesus called the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, God called Moses in the burning bush. God called Abram and had him go somewhere. The call of God is first and foremost not to what you do, but to him himself, to God. His call is come to me. Come, follow me. And God's call, the calling to which we have been called, is predetermined. It is pre-weighed out. It is standardized, it is already set because God has called us before the foundations of the world. And so his calling is a weight that has already been calibrated. It's determined based on him. But the other thing that Paul wants us to weigh out in this scale is our walk. So he says, I want you, I urge you to walk in such a manner as the calling to which you have been called is axios with the way you are walking, that they're in balance with each other. And so Paul urges us to walk in this manner worthy, axios, to the call to which we've been called. Eugene Peterson says this. When our walking and God's calling are in balance, we are whole. We are living maturely. We are living responsively to God's calling, living congruent with the way God calls us into being. We're balanced. It's as it should be. Isn't that such a great picture? I love that picture. It's even more relevant to the way we're going to read this book, and here's why. Because you see, this book, Ephesians, is split into six chapters. The first three, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, when you look at them extensively, which we're going to attempt to, you're going to see an all-encompassing description of God's call of the calling to which we have been called. The first three chapters are gonna be in that one pan over there that is the calling of God in our lives. And then, what Paul then writes in the next three chapters, chapter four, five, and six, is gonna be a rigorous, detailed look at how we should be walking it all out. And that's why this one word, axios, right there in Ephesians 4.1 is really the pivot point for the whole book isn't that cool oh you should applaud or something i don't know you know whistle or throw you know do somersaults nothing all right good we got a few applauds okay great now we're going to see all of this that as we are called to grow up into christ we must keep two things in equilibrium god's call and our walk God's call and our walk. Now, if a person is going to make a whole sermon out of one word, like I'm trying to do today, he better make sure that it speaks of that one word in other places of Scripture. Uh, because otherwise, he's chair-picking theology, and that's not a smart idea. Nobody should pick just one verse or, or one word and make a whole theology about it. But I think that I'm standing on good territory, in good territory, because Paul uses this same language throughout his writings. So I've got backing by the Apostle Paul. Like what he said in Colossians 1 verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy, axios, of the Lord. Now, I realize the Lord is not the calling to which we are called, but remember, the calling of God is to the Lord. So it's the same thing. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then Philippians 1.27 says, Conduct yourselves, which is just another way of saying walk, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy, axios, of the gospel of Christ Christ. First Thessalonians 2.12 says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy axios of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I feel like I'm standing on pretty solid ground when I make the message today about this balance, this axios of God's call that's predetermined. And our response to that, how we walk it out. What's even more helpful is that Paul goes on in verse 2 and 3 of Ephesians 4. So I'm not just making it about one word. (laughs) He goes on to describe for us what that call looks like. It's like he knows we might miss it a little bit, so he describes it for us. He paints the picture, verse 2 of Ephesians 4, with all humility and gentleness. With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul paints for us a picture of what walking in a manner worthy of our calling looks like. He goes ahead and describes it for us. He says it is a life of humility and gentleness. It's a life of patience and love. It's a life where we strive to maintain the unity of his spirit. It is a life of peace and the bond of peace. When I think about these characteristics, when I look at any list, especially that Paul, Paul loves lists, he gives lists of qualities, lists of giftings, lists of uh, li- lists. <laughs> I'll get it right here in a minute lists of uh, ministries. He gives us a lot of lists. When I look at this list, I realize that all those things are not always evident in my own life. Does anybody else look at that? I, you don't have to raise your hand. Does anybody else look at the list and say, wait a minute? I'm not doing so great in those areas. I'm not very gentle. I'm not very patient. I'm not very loving. I am not even striving for unity among those in, which, in whom I'm living and walking with. When you see the balancing scale that this metaphor paints for us, it helps you and it helps me to visualize where I'm out of balance, where the call is so much more weighty than the way I'm living, the way I'm walking. And I have have measurements right here. You see, his calling doesn't change. It's a consistent, ever-present, never-changing weightiness in our lives. He has called us to himself. Something we can measure our walk against is his call. Am I humble? Am I gentle? Am I patient in this moment? Wow, patience is a hard one for me. I can be so doing so well. We just get in the presence of God and we are worshiping and I get up and share and I feel all the glow and glory of God and then I get out on lawrenceville Swanee Road and have to get up there next to that Interstate 85. And then people just... They're not being very patient, and they're not being very loving, and they're not being gentle because they want to squeeze in front of me, and I, that's just not right, and how impatient I can grow like that, and there I see my scale, go like this. His call is weighty. My walking it out is not very worthy. We have to put our walk on his scale and see how we're doing in comparison to his call. But even as we consider all of this, we need to be careful not to misunderstand or misapply these scriptures. Because I know myself, and you know yourself, and we all have a tendency towards performance. Towards doing it, performance. We all do it. We assume we must do this on our own. Yes, it took his grace to save us, but now that he has, it's our job to walk it all out in our own strength. We just think that life is about achieving it through hard work and buckling down and doing it with sheer grit and determination, but that's not what God calls us to. Paul David Tripp says, if that's the message of this verse, we're in trouble. If you and I are going to do it on our own, he says, we're in trouble. Then he says, you and I have no ability to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Isn't, didn't Paul just tell us to? And, and Paul David Tripp is telling us, who I highly respect and I love his books and I love his teaching. He's saying, you can't do that on your own. He says, if you think you do have this ability, you've underestimated the power of the indwelling sin. Tripp goes on to say that what can help us the most is to see that Paul is not saying we must live up to the calling as much as he's saying we must live out of the calling. And that's a really important distinction. Not living up to, but rather living out of what he's done for us and in us. Instead of saying, here's the standard, now you just live up to it. Paul tells us to live out of what God has called us to live into. To live out of what God has called us to live into. Which is something that can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. It can't be achieved any other way. Without the Holy Spirit, none of this is possible. Salvation was impossible in the first place. And walking in a manner worthy of his calling isn't either. It takes the Holy Spirit. But but Paul's already laid the groundwork for that. If you look back just a few verses in chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, "...that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit." In your inner being, Paul's already understood that any of this that he is laying down as instruction and admonition will be—it will require the Spirit of God for any of this to happen. There is no other way we can walk in a manner worthy of his call than to be strengthened by the power through His Spirit in our inner self. That's the only way it's possible. This morning, I want you and me to take an inventory. I want you to look at these verses and and consider just how things are going for you. A lot of us are trying to do this Christian walk out of sheer grit. We're trying to do it in our own strength, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. We've been working real hard at it, and that doesn't work. So we redouble our effort, and that didn't work. So we re-triple our effort, and that doesn't quite do it. But we just keep at it. We're buckling down, and we're doing more, and doing it better, and doing it faster. We've been trying to live up to something, when what God wants us to do is live out of something. His power flowing through us, in us, the power of his spirit resident in us, giving us the ability to now walk in a manner that is axios, that is worthy of the calling to which we've been called. There may be others here today who are watching who have slipped into a type of Christian moralism. Where we think we're living up to his calling, that's not our problem. It's everybody else that has an issue. Where we begin to see ourselves as enforcers of his will and purpose. We enforce his rules on others. We call out people when they don't see it the way we do. For not walking it out the way we do. For not believing the way we do. And if just they could get their act together, then we would be doing a whole lot better. And that's not what God's called us to either. We are not called to be Pharisees in this day and age. We are called to be his messengers of grace and mercy and to exemplify that in our own lives, making it so attractive that when somebody that doesn't agree with you sees it, the Holy Spirit might do something in their heart to change them. There's got to be humility and gentleness and patience and love in the way we walk with each other. There's got to be a desire to fight for the unity of the Spirit and to do all things in a bond of peace. There still may be others sitting here or watching who are just out of balance altogether. You're just not even close. That the call of God is so weighty that you're so far removed you don't even know how to start. Our walk In that case, it's not consistent. It's not befitting. It is not worthy of the call to which we've been called. In each of these three dilemmas, it takes the Holy Spirit. And here's the good news. The Holy Spirit is available to us. He is here to help us. The only way forward is for us to be strengthened with the power through His Spirit in Our inner being. So here's my prayer for us. Come Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you. Come strengthen us in our inner being. That we may live out of your power. Rather than trying to live up to our expectations. Come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, strengthen us in our inner being, deep down, that we may walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in agape love, eager to maintain a unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. And come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, strengthen us in our inner man, that we may walk in a manner worthy, that we may get into axios, that we may walk in a manner worthy, befitting to the call of God in which we have all been called. These are my prayers for us as we study this book and as we live in this very struggling, difficult, turbulent day. We don't have to be those who have no hope. We get to be those whose eyes are fixed on Jesus, whose feet are standing on solid ground, who we get to be the messengers and the witnesses to his goodness and grace. And it doesn't matter how bad things get out there, because God's kingdom is not going to shake. Let us receive the Holy Spirit today. Amen.
1: I was reading a blog earlier this week about the worthiness of God and our calling, just the balance of that. And what I read was, faith looks away from itself to the worth, ability, and grace of another. So walking worthy of the Lord would mean acting in a way that shows how worthy and able and gracious and strong and amazing he is. To act in a way that fits his great value and glorious nature. The gospel and our calling to be ministers of him. So what fits with that great value? Faith, hope, and love. Mm-hmm. To walk worthy isn't even something we do or even something that we can. <laughs> it's, it's receiving All of his divine nature at work in us that creates the can, that creates the balance, that creates the value. That's right. So for faith, it's the thing that agrees that I can't and agrees that he can. Hmm. For hope, it's the thing that says I'm inadequate and he is all sufficient. And love says... The kind that I have to give is so confused with my humanity, my weaknesses, my preferences, but the love of God is God. And all that we need is available in that power. And so the message is about the balance, but we have to remember that it's God that makes the balance. (laughs) I can't balance myself. I can't get rid of the stuff that makes the scales wonky. All I can do is keep talking to him about that and agreeing with him about that and receiving from him and confessing. But ultimately, the balance is him. Yes. And it's available to us. Yes.
0: I'd like for uh, us to give, we're going to give instructions for how we're going to do this. And obviously, you're all wearing masks. So what I'm going to ask you to do uh, if you would just where you're seated, go ahead and take your mask off and sit it in your lap, and uh, don't get used to it. Um, and so we're going to ask you uh, to, now that you have that, if you would take the top cellophane level and if you pull that back where you can see the wafer that is revealed. And for those that are watching on the live stream, uh, wherever you are, we encourage you to take what elements you may have available, juice and bread of any sort. Um, Brother Curtis has talked with us about moments where there were no available uh, elements, and they actually used a soda and lifesavers. And he said it was one of the most beautiful, holy times that he and his classmates had when he was teaching in Bible college. So... It's not so much what these elements are as much as what God says they are and how we receive them. So if you would take the wafer, Donna's going to pray for that and we will then receive all together and then we'll give you instructions on opening for the juice.
1: Father, we thank you for what this bread symbolizes, the real bread of heaven that we ingest. And by that presence in our lives of your bread, it defines us. Yeah. It's the value we are seeking. It's what brings the worthiness.
0: Yes,
1: it is. It's what makes faith, hope, and love possible. That's right. And so we thank you for your bread of life that is life to us. And we receive it today and all that it contains so that we might be worthy.